Good morning, church. I'll tell you, one of the things, one of the many, many things that I love about this church family is the kids. I love, I love being here in this room and looking around and seeing so many little ones. I know that for parents that sometimes Sunday morning can be difficult, especially 8 o'clock service, uh, to be here to get them ready and then to deal with their squirmy bodies and, and their voices and things. But I'll tell you that the rest of us, we just, we love it. We love that you're here. We love that your kids are here. We love thinking about their present and their future. So thank you. Thank you for being that kind of church family, the kind of church family that is multi-generational. It is so wonderful to be growing together. So thank you for being a part of that, whatever stage of life you are in. When I was in middle school, just to kind of give you a sneak peek on, on what I was like in middle school, I was it's pretty embarrassing, actually. I would not only get to school really early, which is nerdy enough as it is, but I would, I would get to school really early by choice, not because I had to. I would get there early, and I would go with my friends to the cafeteria, and we would eat breakfast and talk theology. I, I know, big surprise there, right? Um, but but I, had, I had a very diverse, religiously diverse group of friends when I was in middle school. I think I had a Catholic friend. I had a Pentecostal friend. I had a friend that was a Mormon. I had a friend that was a Jehovah's Witness. I had a friend that wasn't a believer in anything. And we would go to breakfast and we would, I, I, I would like to say we talked theology, but all we really did was debate each other. You know what I'm saying? And, and I would come with my position and I would come with my verses and they would come with their Bible verses and we would sort of throw them at each other and see what sticks, right? And we would just kind of shoot verses back and forth at each other. And that's really how I thought about the Bible, I thought about the Bible like it was a collection of bullets, a collection of bullets to be used to defend my position or to dismantle someone else's position. And, and that's how I read Scripture, that's how I looked at Scripture, that's how I searched Scripture, was that this was a book full of things to help me defend my position and dismantle someone else's position. And I would like to say that, you know, I got into high school and then college and I sort of outgrew that, but that's not the case. In fact, even when I started ministry and started preaching, that's sort of how I preached. And I, I, I formed lessons and prepared for lessons and presented lessons to say, this is the right position and these other positions are wrong. And, and here's the verses that prove my point and disprove their point. And everything was about defending my position and dismantling someone else's position. Have you, have you ever thought of the Bible that way? Like the Bible is a collection of verses to help you defend your position and dismantle someone else's position. In fact, we can, we can so get ingrained in that, that way of reading the Bible, that any time we open up the Bible, any time we read Scripture, here's the question we tend to ask, who's right? Who's right? Am I right or are they right? And we tend to think that's the question to be asking, who's right? And what happens when we ask that question <laughs> Typically, the answer is me, right? I'm right, because that's how I think about everything. And so do you. We all do. We think I'm right. I, I wouldn't hold the position I hold or think what I think or believe what I believe unless I thought I was right. And so if that's the question that we're asking when we go to Scripture, who's right? And, and we always come away with the same answer. Huh, turns out I'm right again. And, and we're always looking to prove that we're right and someone else is wrong then we get further and further entrenched 
in our own side. And very often, the more entrenched we become, the further and further away we get, not only from each other, but also from the Lord. So, so let me propose a better question maybe for us to be asking. Instead of asking who's right, me or them, maybe we should be asking what's right? What's right? As we read through the passage, instead of trying to defend our position or dismantle their position, what if we simply read the text and asked who's, or rather, what's right? What's right? What is this passage actually teaching? What am I supposed to learn from this? What was the, the author, the inspired writer of this passage, what was he saying? What was he communicating to his original audience? And what, what should I be learning from this today? How can I apply this today? So instead of asking what's right, let's ask, or rather, instead of asking who's right, me or them, let's ask what's right? Because a lot of times, here's what happens, a lot of times when we're asking who's right, we're already making an assumption, aren't we? That one of us is right. We're already making the assumption that either I'm right or they're right. Now, it's possible sometimes that you're both kind of right, and it's also, it's also possible that you're both kind of wrong, right? It's possible that you're both wrong, but you're making the assumption that one of us is right, that either your position is right or my position is right, and the reality is that maybe, maybe both of you are wrong. And if we were to just look at the text and say, what's right here? What does this text actually teach? What does God want us to learn from this? What is God trying to teach his people in the original audience? And what is God trying to teach his people today through this book of the Bible? Hey, here's an example. Here's what we're going to talk about today is Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. And here's another great example of Sort of, I, I heard this verse quoted all the time. Somebody would use it in the bullet, the gun to shoot a bullet at me and say, well, Wes, you're wrong about baptism because this verse right here says that if you confess with your mouth, then you're saved, right? And, and then I would turn around and I would use this as a bullet in my gun to say, no, 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 this is just one step of salvation, so, so one person would read this passage and say, well, this is the final step of salvation. Another person would read this passage and say, no, this is just the second to the last step of salvation. It's one of the things that you need to do, but it's not the only thing you do. And somebody else would say, no, it's the only thing you do. Paul does say, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses, and is saved. But, but again, perhaps we go wrong when we're shooting this verse back and forth at each other. One person is saying, confession is the final step. And another person is saying, no, confession is the second to the last step before you're baptized. And we're sort of shooting this verse back at each other and, ask, and asking who's right. Maybe we should stop and ask, what's right? What is, what is Paul really talking about? What's the discussion that he's having with his original audience? What assumptions are we making? What assumptions should we stop making? So let's look at the text, Romans chapter 10 and verse 1. Now, of course, throughout the book of Romans, Paul has been talking about the gospel, the good news of Jesus, 
and that it's for everyone. It's for the Jew first, but also for the the Greek, the Gentile. It's for the nations. It's for all of us that God wants to justify all people through faith in Jesus Christ. And that this good news about Jesus is for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Now, he says in chapter 10 and verse 1, talking about the nation of Israel, talking about his Jewish brothers in the flesh, he says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, for his Jewish kinsmen, is that they be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. This is the context. This is the context of what Paul is talking about throughout the book of Romans and especially here in chapter 10. Here's the distinction that he's trying to make. Here's here's what he's saying about the people, his kinsmen, his Jewish brothers and sisters in the flesh. He says, I want them to be saved. And they're zealous for God. They're zealous for God. They're incredibly excited about God. But their zeal is without knowledge. In what way, Paul, is their zeal without knowledge? What are they ignorant of? Well, they're trying to establish their own, what? Righteousness. They're depending on themselves to be in a right covenant relationship with God. They believe that their own works, their own obedience, their own steadfastness to the law of Moses is the basis of their relationship with God, their righteousness, And so they ignorantly believe, Paul calls them ignorant, I'm not calling them ignorant, the Bible calls them ignorant, in that that ignorance, they think that if they were obedient enough, that they kept the law enough, that they could be in a right covenant relationship with God. But but instead, Paul says that, that doesn't work. And he's been explaining throughout the book of Romans, that doesn't work. Why? Because of the weakness of our flesh. Because both the Jew and the Gentile, we're we're weak. And in the weakness of our flesh, there is sin. And because of the weakness in our flesh, nobody has kept the law. Nobody can depend on their own righteousness, on their own obedience, on their own strength, on their own goodness to be in a right covenant relationship with God. Instead, we ought rather to submit to God's righteousness. Submit to the righteousness of God, which means we trust in God that God is righteous. We trust in God that he can keep us in a right covenant relationship with himself. Do we see the difference in those two things? One says, God, I trust you to keep me. I trust you to hang on to me. I love you and I devote myself to you and I I put my faith in you Because I'm trusting in your righteousness, that in your righteousness, in your goodness, in your faithfulness to your covenant promises, you will hold on to me. And the other side says, no, 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 it's not really about God's righteousness, it's about my righteousness. And I trust in myself, I trust in my own strength, I trust in my own wisdom, I trust in my own righteousness that I'm going to hold myself into a right relationship with God. 
And Paul has said throughout the book of Romans, that doesn't work because we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. The, the Jew has sinned and fallen short of God's glory. The Gentile has sinned and fallen short of God's glory. You, you, you cannot establish your own righteousness. You cannot be in a right covenant relationship with God by your own strength, by your own power, by your own goodness, by your own wisdom. The only way to be in a right covenant relationship with him is to, the text says, submit to his righteousness, to trust in his righteousness, to depend on his righteousness. If you trust in his righteousness, if you trust in his goodness, then you can be in a right covenant relationship with God. He says that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Those who believe, both Jew and Gentile, can be in a right covenant relationship with God because they're not trusting in their own obedience to the law of Moses to keep them in a right covenant relationship with God. Look at verse 5. He says, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But he's been saying throughout this entire book, hasn't he, that that sort of righteousness that's based on the law is impossible. Why? Because they haven't kept the commandments. They haven't kept the commandments. Nobody has kept the commandments perfectly. So if, if their, their trust, if their belief, if their idea is, I keep the commandments, I live. Paul says, okay, if that's the way you want to have it, then you're going to die. The wages of sin is death. If you are going to depend on your own righteousness, on a righteousness that's based on law-keeping, then you're going to die. Because none of us, none of them, none of y'all, nobody has kept the law perfectly. People try in vain to establish their own righteousness, a righteousness that's based on the law. So he says in verse 6, But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. Now, if you write in your margins, you might write in your margin Deuteronomy chapter 30 because Paul is quoting from Deuteronomy 30 and he's tying this to the gospel and he's helping them to see that it's it's always been this way. It's always been this way. And he's, he's helping them to see even what the law itself had said. Helping them to see what Deuteronomy chapter 30 said. And Deuteronomy 30 is all about how God's expectations for his people are not impossible. God's expectations for Israel in the very beginning, from the time he took them out of slavery in Egypt, brought them through the wilderness and into the promised land, his expectations for his people were not impossible. Why? Because his expectations for them were to trust me. Trust me. Have faith in me. 
Be devoted to me. Love me with all of your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength. You're going to mess up when it comes to the law, but you can still trust me. You can still have faith in me. You can still be devoted to me. You can still love me. And from the very beginning, even in the law itself, God was telling his people, trust me. And if you trust me, if you're devoted to me, if you love me, then you will meet my expectations. My expectations for you are not perfection, but they are faithfulness, trust, and faith. And so Paul takes this that Deuteronomy chapter 30 says, and he ties this to the gospel, and he says, see, it's, it's always been this way. And, and, and don't say who will ascend for us, because Jesus has already done that for us, hasn't he? And don't say who will descend to the abyss for us because Jesus has already done that for you as well. It's right here. It's always been right here. And it's always been about trusting in God. Don't say, well, man, God's expectations for us, they're just too hard and who can go up there and who can go down there? The answer is Jesus. He's, he's done it for you. He's, he's ascended and he's descended. He's done everything for you. God has done it for you. He's accomplished it for you. God's expectations are not that you go to the deepest depths or climb the highest mountains. God's expectations for you are what they've always been. Trust Him. Submit to His righteousness. Because He's the only one who can keep you in a right covenant relationship with himself. So he goes on verse 8. It's still quoting from Deuteronomy 30, this time from verse 14. He says, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. And then he adds, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. See, this is what Deuteronomy 30 said. He says, the, the message is right here. The message is right here. It's in your mouth, about the rest of this text, in your mouth and in your heart, what is? Paul says the message of faith, the message of trust, the message of allegiance, the message of loyalty. It's right here. It's close to you. Stop saying it's, it's impossible because what God really expects from you, what God really wants from you is your faith. Is your faith is your trust in him, is your submission to his righteousness. And this message of faith that Paul says that we're proclaiming, it's right here, it's right in front of you, it's accessible to you, it's in your mouth and in your heart, it's right here for you. Verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See how he's playing on that from Deuteronomy 30 and verse 14, in your mouth and in your heart. He says this, this message, this message of faith, it's right here for you. And if you will believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. Now, Here's, again, I'll get kind of nerdy for just a second. But in this, in this passage, in this verse right here, verse 9, the words confess and believe are in the aorist tense. Not the past tense or the present tense or the future tense or even the, the perfect tense. But in the aorist tense, 
which is not about one specific time. Okay, when we talk about something in the past tense or in the future tense, or we're, we're talking about a specific time. But the aorist tense is not about a specific time. In fact, it's capable of capturing the totality of the time. Let, let me kind of give you some examples grammatically of something that might be similar. If you say to a married person, if you love your spouse, you will have a happy marriage. If you love your spouse. Now, if you stop and say, well, when? Like, when do I need to love my spouse? Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays? Just like one time, like I love them when I got married? To... No, no, no. It, it's capturing the totality of the time, right? If you love them, if you love them, you will have a happy marriage. Or if you say to somebody in school, one of our students, and you say to your student in school, if you work hard, you will graduate. Well, when? When do I need to work hard? What, what days? Like, how many times do I have to? No, no, no. It's not about when. It's about whenever. Whenever it, it falls upon you to work hard, then work hard. And if you work hard in a totality sense, then you will graduate. If you say to somebody, if you, if you have a good attitude, then things will go well for you. That's good advice, isn't it? If you have a good attitude, things will go well for you. But somebody say, when? When do I need to have a good attitude? It's not, a, it's not about when. It's about whenever. See, this, this tense of the word here, confess and believe, it's about a totality. It's not about a when, like a specific time. It's about whenever. If you believe, if you confess, you will be saved. If you, if you in your life, as a disciple of Jesus, if you believe and if you confess, you will be saved. Look at verse 10. It makes it even clearer. He says, for with the heart, one believes. Again, quoting from Deuteronomy 30 and verse 14. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Now here, to make it even clearer that he's not talking about one specific time of believing and confessing, he, he's, he's using the present tense of believe and confess. Whoever is believing, whoever is confessing, it's an ongoing, continual action, present tense. Whoever is believing and whoever is confessing, these are the saved people. See, Paul isn't talking about steps, as in a final step, if you confess one time that Jesus Christ is the Lord. And he's not talking about a, a step as in the second to the last step right before you're baptized. He's not talking about that. He's talking about being believing people. He's talking about being confessing people. That you live a lifestyle of believing. That you live a lifestyle of confessing. Who are saved people? Now the Jewish people might have been tempted to think, well, it's the law keepers. Those are the saved people. The circumcised people, the people that eat kosher foods, the people that keep our Jewish traditions. And Paul is saying throughout this book, no, it's the believing people, it's the confessing people. If you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you submit to God's righteousness, trusting in him, in his righteousness, in his goodness, in his strength, in his power, and saying, I trust you to keep me in a right covenant relationship with you through the blood of Jesus. 
then you will be saved. Saved people are believing people and confessing people. And of course, Paul, Paul doesn't have in mind something that, that discounts baptism. Romans chapter 6, we've already read that this morning, haven't we? Romans chapter 6, of course, saved people are baptized people. Saved people are baptized people. But after your baptism, what are you doing? You're going on and living a lifestyle of believing. You're living a lifestyle of confessing. And hopefully, we're not making the same mistake that the people Paul was related to were making. The same mistake that Paul had made at one point in his life. The same mistake that it's very easy for religious people to make. And that is trying to count on, depend on, trust in, put our faith in our own righteousness. This entire text is all about submitting to God's righteousness. And that's what confession is all about. Not just confession one time, saying a prayer, being baptized and and making a confession. It's an ongoing confession. Yes, when we were baptized into Jesus, when we were buried with him in baptism, we made a confession with our mouth. But hopefully, hopefully that's not the last time we made that confession. Confession is about this ongoing, this ongoing confession of trusting in God's righteousness. Faithful to God that he is putting us in and keeping us in a right relationship with him. Of course, that begins at baptism, but it must continue on because saved people are believing people. Saved people are confessing people. Verse 11 Paul says, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. See, none of these things are one-time events, are they? If Again, if you say to a married person, if you love your spouse, you're going to have a good marriage. Or if you say to a student, if you work hard in school, you're going to graduate. Or if you say to anybody, if you have a good attitude, then things will go pretty well for you. You're not saying that one point in time you need to have a good attitude, or one point in time you need to love your spouse, or one point in time you need to work hard in school. We're saying in totality, here's what you need to do. Paul is saying, who are the saved people? It isn't just the Jews, and it isn't just the Gentiles. And it's, yes, it begins at baptism. But from there, we continue to be believing people. We continue to be confessing people. We continue to be people who call upon the name of the Lord. That's what this is all about. Whose name are you calling upon? Whose name are you trusting in? Are you trusting in your own name? Are you calling upon your own name? Are you depending on your own righteousness? Or are you depending on his? Are you saying, I believe that God and only God can keep me in a right covenant relationship with himself. I trust in him. I trust in Jesus. I give my loyalty and my allegiance and my trust to Jesus. That begins at baptism when we're buried with him. But then we're raised up to live this sort of a life, a life of submitting 
to the righteousness of God. Not making the mistake of too many religious people who came before us of trying to establish our own righteousness. That's what Paul is trying to dismantle, is the idea that we can establish our own righteousness as opposed to submitting to the righteousness of God. We believe in his righteousness. We confess his righteousness. We call upon his righteousness. We are completely dependent on Christ. In fact, here's how we could sum it all up, that confessing Christ is a continual declaration of dependence. Declaration of dependence, right? Not a declaration of independence. A declaration of independence say, I'm not going to submit to you. I'm not going to do things your way. I'm going to do things my own way. I am my own sovereign. I am my own boss. I'm in charge of my own destiny. But a declaration of dependence says, I will submit to you. I will give you my loyalty. I will give you my allegiance. I depend on you. That's what we're doing when we're baptized, isn't it? When we're baptized, we are confessing our dependence on Jesus, our total, complete dependence. We are declaring dependence on him. We're saying, you are my king, and I'm trusting in the righteousness of God. But it can't stop at baptism. We come up out of the water that day and the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day, we have to continually confess Christ, meaning that we have to continually declare dependence. I am totally, utterly, completely, radically dependent on Christ for righteousness. To be in a right relationship with my Father, the only way to be in a right relationship with my Father is to be in Christ. That's what confession is. Yes, we make a confession before we're baptized. That's good. That's biblical. But that's not, I don't think, what Paul has in mind in Romans chapter 10. What he has in mind in Romans chapter 10 is to say that saved people are believing people. Saved people are confessing people. And the question is, are you believing people? Are you confessing people? Are you declaring dependence on Jesus? Are you continually confessing Christ? Are you continually declaring dependence on Jesus? Because if we're real honest, it is very easy to slip into that way of thinking and way of being where we depend on our own righteousness or where we believe that we can establish our own righteousness rather than submitting to the righteousness of God. The reason, if you've been baptized, the reason you were baptized is because you recognize you can't do it on your own. You can't establish a connection with God on your own. You can't establish a connection with God by doing the right things. That's why you were baptized. Because there's no way to obey yourself into a right relationship with God. The only way to be in a right relationship with God is to accept what Jesus has done for us. Is to accept the blood. Is to accept the forgiveness. Is to accept the mercy. Is to accept the grace. And to put our faith our confidence, our trust in Him is to declare when we're baptized and from that point on, our dependence on Jesus. So maybe there's somebody here this morning and you're ready for the first time 
to step into a right relationship with God by believing in your heart, by confessing with your mouth, by being buried with Jesus in baptism, but then to go on from there, continuing to declare your dependence on him, continuing to declare your allegiance to him, continuing to declare your loyalty to him, continuing to declare your faith and your trust in him. Maybe you're ready to begin that journey, or maybe, maybe there's some of us who need to get back on that journey. Maybe we've depended on ourselves too much. Maybe we've said that we declare dependence, but with our life, we've declared independence. Where we've said, you know, I'm, I'm kind of going to do things my own way. I, I'm kind of going to pave my own path. I, I'm going to decide my own destiny. I'm going to walk on my own path. I'm going I'm to blaze my own trail. A confession that isn't lived out is just a lie. It's one thing to say with our mouth that Jesus Christ is our Lord, but do we believe it in our heart? Are we really declaring our dependence on him? I don't know about you, but every now and then I need a reminder that I am totally, completely dependent on the righteousness of God, that in and of myself, I cannot have a right relationship with God, but through Jesus It's a free gift, and it's a gift given to those who give their allegiance, their loyalty, and their faith to King Jesus. So if we can help you to do that for the first time or to do that once again, we're here to help you in any way we can. Now's a great opportunity to come forward as we stand and sing.